Um, and, and as we get into this passage, really these whole first four messages in Genesis covering the first three chapters um, really are about, all about our worldview. It's really an integral thing um, about our worldview and how we see the world. Um, the worldview, a, a worldview answers four questions. Your worldview essentially answers these four questions. Now, if you Google worldview questions and that kind of thing, you'll get all kinds of like, one will have seven, one will have 12, one will have eight. I mean, that's all over the place. But I, in, in the way that I like to think about it, and in, in, in certain ways, these four questions are really essential to how you see the world. First question is, how do we get here? Um, that, so that's answering questions like we did, we, like we've looked at with the creation and, and, you know, did God create the world, or was it somehow just show up, or what happened? Um, how do we get here, not just individually, but then as, as the planet and that sort of thing, how do we get here? And then the second question that a worldview has to answer is, what went wrong? Because practically no one thinks that everything is fine. Now, that's an interesting thing about our, about our world, is that Almost no one goes, no, everything's perfect. Everything's going really well, right? It's universally acknowledged that, like, something's wrong. Something is not quite right here. What is it? How, what's the origin of it? How did it start? What is the thing that's the problem? You know, and, and so people answer that in different kinds of ways. Um, and and what we're, we're looking at right now is really the, our answer to that. As Christians, our answer to that is in Genesis chapter 3. Um, and then the other two are, how will it be fixed? You know, or it's sometimes it's how do we fix it? How will it be fixed? I phrase it that way because our answer is external, but some people have that answer, is in, think that answer is internal. How will it be fixed? Um, and then lastly, what comes next? What comes after? After we die, after the world ends, you know, whatever the end is, what's after this present reality that we have? So it's kind of a, a worldview um, and, and your worldview is essential to how you see the Bible and how we read Scripture and really how you do everything. These, the answers to these questions affect how you live your life in a major way. Um, so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 to really answer mostly that second question is what went wrong, although we will dip into the third question a bit. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will, surely not, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were, open, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so we break this down. And, and I know that that we're all generally familiar with this story, right? We're, we're generally familiar with some understanding of this story. Even people that don't know the Bible have some idea of this story. 
But it's important that, that when we, especially when we have stories like that from Scripture, where we think we have a general idea, that we really look at what the Bible actually says. The one little thing that's maybe silly that, that the Bible doesn't actually say is that so many people, when they tell, retell this story, make the fruit an apple. Right? Like, that's all the time. Like, oh, they ate the apple. Oh, Eve ate the apple. It's not. Right? It's not, that's not what it says. Right? And if it was, then we probably shouldn't eat apples. <laughs> right? Like, we don't know what this fruit was. It probably is not a fruit that we have now. Right? But, but it's not that. And so there's, like, those little kind of things, those little changes that we make, well, that one might not be that important, right? Other than whether it affects your apple consumption. Um, <laughs> that might not be that important, but those little kind of changes are often where we, we do get things shifted. And we see that a little change here does make a difference. Now, we see Satan use a couple tactics here, Satan in the form of the serpent, to use a couple tactics that he uses all the time, even to this day. The first is that he says, like, did God actually say, right? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, that's not what God said, right? The answer to that is just, no, that's not what he said, right? But but what Satan's doing is exaggerating the prohibition, right? He's exaggerating what God has said they shouldn't do. He's making it, oh, you say you can't eat anything. Did God say you can't eat anything? No, that's not what God said. And, and neither is Eve's response, right? Eve also, her response, she's right at first. She's like, no, God didn't say that. He said we can't eat from this one tree or touch it. Well, God didn't say that. God didn't say anything about touching it. She adds that rule on, you know, maybe even for herself to keep herself at a distance from it, but she adds that prohibition and, and exaggerates and expands what God has said that they can't do. And people do this all the time, right? People do this all the time with God's laws, where they think of God's laws even abstractly as being extreme, right? You'll hear a lot of people, they're not particularly Christians, not into the, I'm not religious, I'm not like into the Ten Commandments, I don't follow the Ten Commandments or anything. And people kind of freak out about the idea of the Ten Commandments and living by the Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments aren't that extreme. Right? It's not this like, you shall not have any fun. Right? That a lot of people think. A lot of people seem to think that like, breaking God's laws or like that sinning is like super fun. And really like God's just trying to keep you from having fun and so then you have to, you can't live by the Ten Commandments if you want to have fun, right? Well, that's silly, right? They're easy. The first, the first four primarily have to do with how you relate to God, right? You shall know the gods before me. You shall have no idols, make no graven images, right? You shall not take my name in vain. Those have to do with how you treat God. And most times people, they're not that, that's not the active part of their life. If they're, if they're not actually living in a relationship with God, that's not an active part of their life. And they might be neglecting it, but it's not something that they're actively engaging with whatsoever, right? And it's not something that they would go like, well, I wish, I just, I would be into Christianity if God would let me make an idol. That's the main thing. I just really like whittling, and if I could whittle something, then I'd be having fun. But that's not really a part of it, right? Taking God's name in vain, people do that all the time. And that's a common one that people that, are, that, that don't follow Jesus embrace and get, in, get into. But it's not something that they really like, builds up their life. They're just doing it ignorantly, right? And then take the, sa remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's number four, right? And, and that's just God asking you to take a break and remember him, 
That's not that bad, right? God telling you, listen, you better not work one of these days. <laughs> oh, okay, that's not a big deal, right? And then the others, you shall, not, you shall honor your father and mother. Well, that one's a bummer until you are a father and mother, <laughs> right? Until you are, and then you're like, no, that's a good one. That's the one we need to really put in there, right? That's an important one. You shall not murder. Not a lot of people going around like, I want to murder, but God won't let me. Right? That's not, that's not one that people are freaking out about. Shall not commit adultery. Again, like maybe you want to do that, but you don't want that to be done against you. Right? So you can recognize that most, most people can recognize the negativity of that one, that that one's a harmful thing for people. You shall not steal. Again, like maybe you enjoy, maybe you get some thrill out of stealing, but it's not something that people want to do all the time. You shall not bear false witness or lie, right? Lying, again, that's something that like you maybe feel like you need to do or you maybe feel like you want to lie to cover something up, but it's not something that's like, yeah, I get to lie today, right? It's not, these, like, it's not part of having fun, right? And then coveting is, feels nasty inside, right? You know, nobody likes to covet, right? That's wanting something in a way that makes you hate the person that has it. That's not something that you want to feel. So none of those are part of like, hey guys, we're going to party and break the Ten Commandments, right? That's not part of it, but, we, but people just kind of abstract it and go, well, that's just the Ten Commandments, and then make it sound like it's really bad and, and terrible that you would want to follow those, right? that you would want to not break those commandments. And it's part of, God, of Satan's strategy is to, tell, is to tell them, like, listen, God is being way, he's holding out on you. Right? That's why he ends up saying, you, shall, you won't surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. Right? He's convincing, convincing you, like, God's holding out on you. God is, is a buzzkill, and he doesn't want to have you to have any fun. He doesn't want you to have a good time, and he wants just to keep you down. And so you've got to just break this commitment. You've got to step out, and, and you, know, you would make a better God than God. But that's really what it comes down to. That's the ultimate lie is you, know, you would know better than God. You'd do a better job at God's job than, than he would, than he is doing. He's holding out on you. He's keeping things back from you. God's not providing what you need. God's not giving you what would really benefit you for, a, for an abundant life. And so that's, what, that's the seed that Satan plants. That's the, the lie that Satan tells. Is like You would know better. You would make a better God than God. You know better what you need. And it's what we continue to believe to this day. That's the root of sin is, I know better than God. Yeah, I know God said to wait, or that he's holding, he's saying I shouldn't have this yet, but I think it's time for me to have it now. Right, so that's stealing. God hasn't provided what I need, so I'm going to steal what I, what I want. Right, or God has put this person in my way, so I'm going to murder them. Right, or God hasn't provided what I need, so I'm not going to rest. I'm going to just continue to work and ignore him and try to provide for myself. Right? All of these things are, you would know better than God, ultimately. And so then we see Eve move to justify the act. Right? She sees that it's good for food, that it's a delight to the eyes, that it's desirable to make one wise. She's like, if these things are true, why shouldn't I eat it? Right? That's ultimately what she's saying there. Is like, if these things are true, if, it's, if it would taste good, if it looks good, if it would benefit me in some way, then why shouldn't I eat it? She justifies the act. She's like, I, I, I know God said no, but I know better. That's, oh, again, ultimately the root of sin. I know better than God knows. 
Now, one of the things that, again, people kind of get down on, on this story or get wrong is that, like, they have this picture of, like, Eve over here, and she's, like, talking to the serpent, and the tree is there, and she takes the food, and she eats it, and then she, like, walks a long way away, finds Adam, and is like, hey, eat this. And he doesn't know what's happening, so he just eats it anyway. That's not what's happening here, right? Notice it says, she gave to her husband who was with her, right? It's not that he's over there and he's not paying attention. It's that he's standing there like this. <laughs> oh, okay. Right, he's just letting it happen. He's letting it happen. He's not interfering. He's neglecting his duty to tell to tell Eve, hey, we got to stop. Wait, this is not what God said. No, you're missing it, right? He's ignoring what his responsibility is. He's neglecting the role that God has given him in this situation to look out for his wife, to have a sacred duty to, to watch over this, right? To guard what God has said. And he's, so he's just as complicit. He's right there, equally complicit, listening to everything that's happening, listening to her say, no, it's okay, we can ignore God's law here. Right? He's right there with her the whole time. He knew exactly what he was doing when he ate the same way. And so then we see there's immediate impact, right? They have realization and they have shame, right? They realize this, they, their eyes are open because now they know evil. They have violated God's law and revealed evil and by contrast, good. Remember we talked about that last time. The idea that like before it's just what is, now there's evil and so there's good. And they realize they violated that good, they violated God's command and now they've revealed evil, they have done something evil. So moving into verses 8 through 13, where are you? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we see their first solution. They hide, right? They try to hide, try to cover it up. This again, this, this plays out throughout all of history. This is the primary thing people do. This is our first response when we do know we've been caught or we've done something we shouldn't do. We try to hide it, right? Whether immediately hiding from somewhere or just doing it in secret, doing it in a, in a hidden way. So no one knows, and we just you know, convince ourselves no one's ever going to find out. Right? You may have things in your own life right now that they're, like no one knows, and no one will ever find out. You're pretty confident of that. And you might be right, but God knows, and it will one day be revealed. Jesus tells us that in, Matthew, or, sorry, in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. He's saying, ultimately, God knows everything that's happening. 
He sees everything that you've ever done, and that one day all will be revealed. Right? He doesn't say he's just going to stay to God. Ultimately, one day everything will be made known to everyone. Right? Even your private, even things that you're just in your own head will be known. The things that are secret will be made known. And so the question you have to ask is, well, where does that leave me? People think I'm a pretty good person, but what if people really knew who I was? What if people really knew what I did? What about people knew the things that I've kept secret? Right? What if your thoughts were being projected onto a billboard on the freeway? Right? Just, we just got a straight line, we got this great technology, we hook it up to you, and then it just goes, beam it right out there. Who would sign up for that? <laughs> right? No, you wouldn't, right? Because that's the thing is we know the darkness of our hearts. We know that the reality of our sin. One day it will be revealed. Are you covered, right? That's the question is, is has Jesus forgiven it? Have you found yourself in him? We'll get more to that more later. But this hiding, this is something that we do regularly. The other thing that this passage reveals is another reality of God's creation intent that is, heartbreaking, right? Is that they, they heard God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. They, they, they recognized that sound. This is something that happened on a regular basis. Part of God's creation intent was that he would be with his people face to face. That when God created the world, he created it in a way that he would actually be with us face to face, walking with his people, coming visit them, talk to them face to face. This is part of God's creation intent, and it's broken is taken away in this moment but it's something that we long for it's something that we will experience one day and as we have said this creation intent is important to know because it's what we're going back to and we see this in revelation chapter 21 verse 3 it says i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them they will be his people god himself will be with them as their God. So the reality we're coming back to is a reality where God is with us face to face, where we can see him, interact with him. He lives with his people in his creation. That was his creation intent. It's broken by this act of rebellion against God, this rejection of God. But even in this moment where, where man has rebelled against God, God immediately begins to restore the relationship. He initiates grace and mercy by saying these words, where are you? These words, where are you? These are the first words of grace in scripture. First words of mercy and grace in scripture. Where are you? Because God knew exactly where they were. This is not a real question. Not God's like, wait, wait where'd you go? Huh? Where are you guys? Right? That's not, it's not a real question. He knew the minute that it happened. He could see it the minute that it happened, he's, he's omnipotent, he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, he can be everywhere at once. He knew exactly in the moment that it happened, he watched it happen, but yet he says to them, where are you? He's entering into them on their level, walking in the garden, saying, where are you? And one thing that's important for us to keep in mind is, God would have been 100% justified in ending the whole thing the minute that you took that fruit. But the minute that she, t- she bit into that fruit, he could have just been a, everything done and would have been 100% justified. He told them, when you eat of it, you will die. Right? And he could have just scrapped it and started over. 
right? Just immediately started over. He would have been 100% justified. He's the creator. He can do what he wants. But he chooses to pursue his people. Or he chooses to pursue them, to find grace even in that moment of not destroying them on the spot and to pursue them anyway. And then he engages them in conversation. So who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of this tree? He's asking them questions, again, that he already knows the answers to, but he's loving enough to relate to them on their level. He's entering in with them on their own level, even though he knows what has happened. And then we get the excuses, right? So first, first Adam uh, blames Eve, right? He blames it. No, it's, it was her. And, and not only, he actually blames God a little there too, right? He's like, the woman that, that you, you gave me, right? You gave her to me. Why did you do that for? Look what she did, right? And then Eve passes over, well, the serpent deceived me. It wasn't me. It's, it's, it's this serpent. It's not my fault, right? And again, this is our classic defense mechanism for, that we have with our own sin is we want to constantly blame somebody else, I want to find somewhere to shift the blame. If it wasn't really me, it was someone else. And, and our society today is great at this, right? Give you all kinds of excuses. It's your past, or it's your DNA, or it's, it's, part of, you know, it's just part of who you are, or it's, it's the environment that you live in, right? There's all kinds of ways that we can pass the buck, pass the blame to somebody else. And our society loves to do that. But ultimately, they did it. Ultimately, they both, they had that choice. They took the choice. They disobeyed God. It was ultimately up to them. So as we think about this, we see the reality of this fall and what happened. We got to ask ourselves, like, how have I done this in my own life? In my sin, where have I tried to hide it? Where have I tried to blame someone else? Am I, have I just taken responsibility and said, yeah, I've, I've rejected God. I've rebelled against him in, in many ways. Because that's ultimately the core of it, right, is rebellion against God. Rejection of him, desire to be in control on our own. And then, of course, as with all children, there are consequences, right? Any good father knows to, to give consequences to his children. We see God's consequences for the fall here. And now we're going to look at the reality that we live in today. Where we've been talking about creation, but it doesn't fully paint the picture of the reality we live in, the world we live in today, without this, without these consequences. So, Verses 14 through 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken." For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now there's one verse in here that's, that's really a, a key, key verse of all of Scripture um, because it, it initiates this, this process of, of God restoring all things. It's the first messianic prophecy, prophecy about the Messiah, about this one that is to come and, and save all things and restore all things, is verse 15, right? He says, says to the serpent, I will put enmity, make you enemies, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right? This is ultimately talking about Jesus. Right? This is talking about the offspring. It's a singular offspring, one seed, right? That will ultimately come, and we can trace Jesus' lineage back to this moment. Her offspring is going to defeat Satan's sin and death. Right? That is Jesus. This is the first time it's talking about a child will destroy you. Right? When you're talking about crushing a serpent's head, he's going to bruise your heel, you're going to crush his head. If you crush a head versus a heel, right? the heel like, you may injure, you may get injured, but if you crush the head, it kills it. Right? So he's talking about Jesus' ultimate work on the cross there in this initial moment of even in giving the consequences He's going to provide the way. He's going to start to provide the way for things to be restored. We see this referenced in, in a couple places in Scripture. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Right? He's re- clearly referencing this moment. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, says, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has, come, has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all of those who fear death, who, who, through, the, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And he talks about defeating Satan's sin and death, that Jesus is the one who will deliver us from those things. From the moment the kingdom is broken, God begins to restore it. Begins the work to restore it. Another important thing to see in here is that only Satan and the soil, the serpent and the soil, are cursed. Mankind have consequences, but Satan and the soil are cursed. And so those are very different things. Right, so here's what he says. First, the consequences for women, we see pain in childbirth, right, which is also tied to the promise. Right, it's not part of the original design. Having painful childbirth was not part of God's original design but it's tied to his promise of how he will restore all things, ultimately through one of the offspring. And then the second half of the verse that's written there to, to the woman, str- commentators and, and interpreters struggle with how to, how to translate that, right? The, wa- the way I read it may be different than the way than what your translation even says, where he says to the woman, um, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Specifically, that idea of, of contrary to your husband or against or toward, there's all kinds of different ways that they might translate that. Um, and it's difficult for translators to figure out how exactly what exactly that means. It's not a common Hebrew word that's used there. But ultimately, what we can see and what we can ultimately take from it is there will be conflicted relationship. 
right? The relationship between man and woman will be conflicted. And we certainly see this to this day, that there's con- conflicted there, there's authority struggles there, that there's conflict will, will continue on. Um, and so that's, we can clearly, clearly see that there. And then the consequences for men also often apply to women. It's not just for men. But one thing we see there is that is important to note is that when he says, uh, and, and guys, I don't think any of you would be foolish enough to try this, but he says, you know, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, don't try to use that to say, listen, honey, this is why I'm not listening to you. God told me not to listen to you, <laughs> right? That's not what it means, right? What he's pointing to there is, again, Adam abdicating his authority, you know, neglecting his role as head over his wife, as as guardian over her, that he neglected that. Because you neglected that, now this is what's happening. Because you didn't do what you were supposed to do, God condemns his abdication of this role. And he curses the ground because of him. He curses the ground, and this leads into hard work. Right? He's saying, then you will eat of it for the sweat of your brow, you will eat of the ground all the days of your life. He's saying there's going to be consequences that result in hard work, right? His design, which we pointed out in, in the last couple of weeks, was stress-free gardening, right? That there was going to be like a garden that was watered automatically through this underground spring, these great rivers, and there's eating from the trees, and you know, they can do some gardening, but it was going to be kind of stress-free. Now he's saying it's going to be hard work, right? Your life making a living is going to be difficult work, that plants are going to grow thorns and thistles for you, right? The actual anatomy of the plants is changed, right? The environment is going to be harsher than it was designed to be, right? Remember before, they, were, they could walk around naked. I mean, the environment was perfect for them. Now they have hard work. They're going to be working at this. This translates to our lives today, too. Even though if, if you're not a farmer, this still translates to your life today because ultimately that's what you're, you ultimately have to get food somehow. So even if you are working at some other job and then paying for food and buying it, that's still tied to gardening. And we see these struggles happening all the time. Right? I like to point to the fact that, you know, even though we made computers and all these things, we have like viruses and all these problems with computers. I like to call them digital thorns. <laughs> right? That even those things are tied to this curse. Right, even the problems that we look at as industrial or mechanical, those kind of things that aren't just agricultural, are tied to this curse, tied to the fact that we will have hard work, we will have difficulties, things that get in our way. And then we see that death is now a reality, right? God wasn't lying when he said you will die as a result of eating from this tree. He just didn't mean right then you're going to die, but you will die ultimately when you wouldn't have before. Or we see that they're driven from the garden so they can't eat from the tree of life anymore. They can't live forever. That was God's design, was they would eat from the tree of life. It would cause them to live forever. They're driven from the garden, and it's blocked. The way is not able, you're not able to get there. We're not able to know where it was. And we see God, he names, or Adam, Adam names Eve life giver, right? That's it, when he says he named her Eve because she was mother of all the living. Eve in Hebrew roughly translates to life giver. Because he's recognizing God's provision there of a way to have things restored, right? He's recognizing God's design that a child will restore the life they knew before the fall. They would restore this relationship someday. This thing, this would happen. 
right, we wrap this up with how should we then live? What, what can we take from this? How does this affect our lives? How should we then live? First, a couple options here. First, stop trying to hide your sin from God or blame it on someone else. Right, stop trying to hide. Stop trying to shift the blame. Accept, realize, hey, I have fallen. I have rebelled against God. That's true of everyone, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true of all of us. It's not individual. It, while sin is individual, it's not, you're not unique in that. You can say that because we've all said that as well. Second, recognize that we live in a world broken by man's rebellion against God. This affects your worldview, that, that the world we live in today is not the world of God's creation intent. That it was broken by mankind rejecting God as king, saying, I know better than God. Thirdly, as a result of that, repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Ultimately, Jesus is the answer to this. He's the seed that was promised. He's the way that God will restore all things. Stop trying to live on your own. Stop following in that pattern of sin and, and choose to follow Jesus. So I don't want to live the way I've lived anymore. I want to follow Jesus. And then lastly, believe that God will restore all things. Believe that one day this world this before the fall will be restored. God will be with his people face to face. He will live in this, in this perfect place. So now as we move into communion, it really ties in perfectly. And I'd like to have the elders come forward uh, to serve communion. I want to show you how this really ties in, in perfectly. It's the perfect time for communion because the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, or just means good news, the good news about Jesus Christ is intimately tied to this, because this is the bad news, right? The bad news is the fall. The bad news is, is we rejected God, but God made a way through Jesus Christ, right? That seed that was promised would be born in Jesus. Jesus entered in human history as a baby, lived a perfect life, died the sin that we should have died, you know, innocent, and yet he died rose again on the third day that we might have eternal life, right? He offers us forgiveness from our sins if we accept it. And now as we remember the, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, that's, we symbolize that. We symbolize the recognition that God has forgiven us and empowered us for eternal life. That's why we take communion. Because we're recognizing that his death on the cross paid for ours. If you, if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't accepted that, hey, he's, he's, his broken body and shed blood were for me, and, and they offer forgiveness for the rebellion that I have in my heart, for the sin that I have in my heart, and then, then I want to accept that forgiveness. I want to live for him. I want to make him my Savior and my Lord. And I want to live for him the rest of my life. I want to follow him. Give, give me the ability to live the abundant life. If you have done that, or if you're going to do that right now, then please take communion with us. If you haven't done that, I do. I encourage you to refrain because it's a powerful thing. It's a sacred thing. No one's going to judge you either way, and we, we don't know the condition of your heart. But but for your own sake, I encourage you to just skip that. No one's going to judge you if you skip it. Um, so let's pray now. And if you'd like to, I'll, I'll kind of pray uh, what, what it might look like for you to accept Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your broken body and shed blood because of our rebellion, right? The, this original rebellion, the fact that then we all were born into sin and that we, um, 
that we live in, in, in a world broken by sin. God, because of these things. And that we choose to reject you, you know, in our own hearts, that we have had this, this rebellion, this sin in our own hearts, in our own lives. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result, you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to, to live a perfect life, to die an innocent death on the cross on our behalf so you could take the penalty that we should have had. And God, we accept that right now. Again, you know, some of us have done that a long time ago. We accept it daily. We accept the, the, that forgiveness that you have for us on an ongoing basis, God, because we continue to fall short. If there's anyone here that needs to do that for the first time, God, we pray that they would do that now, that, that they would just say, yes, God, I accept it, and I want to live for you. And God, we pray that as we take this, again, it would be a reminder that we do live by your power, by your grace, that you are the one that sustains us. And that this would be a symbol of the sustenance that you do give us as we take these elements.